Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud. I am your host, Nurse April, and today I have a subject that I want to talk to you about that is very disturbing. So I just want to start off by giving you that information. I do not want children listening to this episode, so if you have children around, don't listen. Wait until they're gone, because this is a conversation for adults only. I came across some information through my research, and I wanted to share it with you because Whenever I find myself having this discussion with people, they are always shocked and in disbelief. And I completely understand because when I first came across the information, I too was shocked and couldn't believe what I was hearing. So I want to share this information with you all because I feel like if we are ever going to win this battle or fight this battle that we are currently in, we all have to be armed with the knowledge and then the information that we need to fight it. We can't fight the enemy if we don't know that the enemy exists. So that's about as much as I can say right now. I want to just remind you that Nurses Out Loud airs Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an encore at 10 p.m. All of our shows go to podcast about a day or two after they air, and you can find us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And if you can, rate our show for us and subscribe and do all the things to help us to grow our audience and our platform and make sure that the word is getting out far and wide. And when I say that, I recognize that by getting the word out far and wide, it makes it so that we become targets, right? So we are going to be targets because what we're saying on our show is typically pushing back against what is considered um, acceptable. And you know, as well as I know, what they like to do to targets. Um, And so I'm saying that because to me right now, what's most important is to get the truth out there and to get as many people fighting back and pushing back against the degradation of society before it's entirely too late. And if nothing else, at least calling out the evil and the perpetrators of evil so that everyone knows who's doing this stuff. Um, our show sponsors, we always have a commercial break and we and I really truly hope that you listen and you support our show sponsors so that we can keep this um, show on the air and so that we can have the opportunity to share this message far and wide. So I'm sure you're curious as to what I'm talking about. And for some of you, you've probably heard all this before, so this won't be new to you. But for others, um, this this topic is going to be new and you're going to learn some things. And I'm going to link a lot of, not even a lot of, I'm going to link all of the sources of the information in the show notes so that you can go on 
and do more research. Cause I feel like we are going to have to be our own litigators and we are going to have to do the research and we are going to have to bring these people to justice on our own because our justice system seems to be incapable of doing their job. So today I want to talk about the Kinsey Institute. I'm not sure how many people are familiar with this name. Um, and this has to do with research in sex, gender, and reproduction. I want to read to you from the Wikipedia page, because I, I feel like if you go to Wikipedia, you are going to get the narrative of any of these hot topics that we discuss, any topics in general that are contentious or important or are making a, um, a difference in the culture of society, you're gonna find on Wikipedia how we're supposed to think of it, okay? So I'm gonna to read to you a little bit from their, uh, the Wikipedia page on the Kinsey Institute, and then I'm gonna give you a little more background. So it says the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction, often shortened to the Kinsey Institute, is a research institute at Indiana University Established in Bloomington, Indiana in 1947 as a nonprofit, the Institute merged with Indiana University in 2016, abolishing the 1947 independent incorporation absolutely and completely. The Institute's mission is to foster and promote a greater understanding of human sexuality and relationships through research, outreach, education, and historical preservation. Research, graduate training, information services, and the collection and preservation of library, art, and archival materials are main activities carried out by the Kinsey Institute. The Institute and Alfred Kinsey himself have been the subject of much controversy as of July 1st, 2019. Evolutionary biologist and sex researcher Justin Garcia holds the title of executive director of the Kinsey Institute, previously noted as the Institute's research director. Garcia is the Institute's eighth executive director and their youngest in history at 34 years old when appointed as executive director. The origins of the Kinsey Institute lie in the scientific research of Indiana University professor and entomologist turned sexuality researcher, Alfred Kinsey. The 1947 creation of the nonprofit Institute originally named the Institute for Sex Research, ISR, was supported by both Indiana University President Herman B. Wells and the Rockefeller Foundation, a major financial backer of Kinsey's research. The ISR was established to protect and preserve the confidentiality of Kinsey's data and research materials by creating a secure, permanent repository for them. After Alfred Kinsey was director of the Institute from 1947 until his death in 1956. Since then, the Institute has had six directors. Paul Gibhard, PhD from 1956 to 1982. June Reinisch, PhD 1982 to 1993. Stephanie Sanders, PhD, interim director of 90, from 1993 to 1995. John Bancroft, MD, 1994 to 2004. Julia Hyman, PhD, 2004 to 2014, 
C. Sue Carter, PhD, 2014 to 2019, and Justin Garcia, PhD, 2019 to present. Kinsey's directorship. Shortly after the ISR's establishment, Kinsey's interview-based research was published in the 1948 best-selling book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male. Its companion, Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, was published five years later. These books were popularly known as the Kinsey Reports. Also in 1950, research materials being shipped to the ISR were seized by the U.S. Customs, thereby resulting in the federal court case U.S. v. 31 photographs. This case continued on after Kinsey's death until it was finally settled in the Institute's favor in 1957. The ruling granted ISR permission to import erotic materials for research purposes. I'm going to stop there and I want to talk a little bit about the Kinsey Institute, which is still affiliated with Indiana University. This institute researched sex and sexuality in males and females. And a lot of the research was surrounding sexuality in children. When I'm, when I'm saying this, and again, there's a link in the show notes, and the link is actually from a book that I want you to read for yourself. And I promise you, it's going to upset you, but it should. And you need to know what happened to understand why what we're seeing currently in our society is happening. But this comes from Kinsey, Crimes and Consequences, Chapter 7. And this book was written by Judith Reisman. She's the author. And... um, Before I even read the book to you, let me just read to you a description of this book. Okay. And this is on Amazon. Buy the book before you can't buy the book anymore because you know what they're doing to our books. But right now it's offered as a paperback. I also include in the link um, or in the show notes, a link to the book that you can download the full book uh, to your computer. If you can't afford to pay for this paperback, they do offer it online and it's free, but let me read to you what it says. It says Kinsey wrestled human sexuality for, from the constraints of love and marriage in order to advance the grand scheme to move America and the world toward the eugenic future envisioned by the elite scientists of the new biology to ensure that his grand scheme would be more than a mere trend. Kinsey worked closely with elite members in the legal and medical professions to change or eliminate most sex offenders' laws. America's sexology profession and accredited sex education field are based entirely on Kinsey's research. The question remains, how far did Kinsey, his colleagues, and supporters go to remake America and its way of life? The Indiana University Kinsey team closely collaborated in human sexual experiments on children without informed consent. The author asks, how could these human sexual experiments on thousands of little children have happened in America 
during the 1930s and 1940s? Or were these experiments even conducted in America? Shocking new discoveries reveal Kinsey's collaboration with a Nazi pedophile. In 1948, the Institute for Sex at Indiana University was led by eugenicist Alfred C. Kinsey, whose sex research shocked America's moral foundations and launched the 1960s sexual revolution. 50 years later, new revelations confirmed Dr. Judith Reisman's 1981 expose of scientific fraud and criminally derived data contained in the publicly funded Kinsey reports. Dr. Reisman revealed that Kinsey conducted human experiments in a soundproof laboratory built to his specifications at Indiana U and that the sexual abuse of at least 317 infants and young boys was a scientific protocol for Kinsey's 1948 report. This is a quote. Dr. Reisman has produced a scholarly and devastating study revealing the ugly and frighteningly dangerous pseudoscientific assault on our children's innocence. Dr. Laura Schlesinger. So I've always had this theory since I was very young that children are not born gay. Children are made gay. I was young when I first had this thought and it was based on my own personal experiences as a child. And it was based on what I had seen and observed in my, in my classmates and in my family and, and just in society in general. Again, you guys know, I am one who kind of sits back and observes and I look for connections and I look for reasons and relationships and causalities. I'm like deep down inside, I, I'd could totally, I would love doing research because I have these hypotheses and then I kind of would love to see how they play out, whether or not they're true. And so one of my hypotheses when I was younger, probably in my teens, was that people aren't just born gay. They become gay, homosexual, bisexual, because they have been exposed to sexuality at a very young age. I mean, in the early, early stages of development, I believe that when children are exposed to um, sexual play, and I say that in air quotes, but uh, sexual play, that it forms their attitudes well into adulthood. And so if you have a child who is basically a clean slate, just blank, and you introduce them to sexual, sexual activity, whatever it is, whatever form it comes in, whether or not it's physical or it's just visual, um, auditory, any of those things. If you expose a child at a very young age when they're still imprinting to sexuality, then it causes their brain almost to like open up a segment that is otherwise closed off and, and a curiosity and then a desire um, a sexual desire that is for a child very difficult to control because children are still learning about how their bodies work and they're still learning about how they're supposed to control certain urges and things of that nature. So when you, when you introduce a child at a very, very young age to 
um, the idea of sexual arousal and stimulation, you can really manipulate that child to go in any direction you want them to go. So for instance, if it's a male who's introducing sexuality to a young male infant or male child, then that male child is going to develop these mental connections that associate this feeling with desires for men, because that's who introduced it to them. Um, and then vice versa, if it's a woman introducing it to a young girl, same thing. And if it's a male introducing it to a young girl, it, I think in my, this is my theory. Okay. But if it's a male introducing this to a young girl at an early age, she can kind of go in a couple different directions. She may go in the uh, direction of promiscuity and begin to experiment with sexuality at a very young age, but be very, very active and almost have this insatiable sexual appetite with men, boys and men. But also it can go the other way where she has um, the sexual desire is awakened in her, but it is um, focused more towards females. And I think that that may have to do with the, um, the trauma of being with a man so early. Of course, most, I mean, all my listeners will know this, but for girls, when you, um, when you have a sexual experience, when your first sex sexual experience is very painful. So if you can associate that pain with a person, then you may form um, an aversion to people who match that description, right? So that's my that's my theory. That's been my working theory for a long time. And I have, and I tell people this whenever I give them this theory of mine is that I have yet to be disproven. I have talked to so many people who are either gay lesbian, transgender, queer, or um, um, hypersexual, so very promiscuous. And in every single one of those encounters that I've had in, in having these, these conversations, every single one of them was exposed to sexual behavior at a very early age in childhood. So my theory before was that, you know, the young, you, when you're young, being exposed to sexuality can lead to you being gay, which is why I say people are not born gay, they're made gay. And people will say to me, no, because how can you say that when there are children who are very, very young? Like I know this kid who ever since they were very, very little, I could tell they were gay. They liked, if it, it was a boy, they liked things that girls liked and, and blah, 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 you know, all of the reasons. And, and in that instance, I always struggled because if you're telling me that ever since a child was a toddler and they've been showing these tendencies, I was like, yeah, well, okay. In that instance, I don't know why. Number one, why would God, you know, create someone to have that kind of struggle throughout their entire life? knowing what the Bible teaches about this type of behavior and, and God not wanting us to engage in this manner, which makes sense. Even from a natural nature standpoint, we cannot procreate. We cannot continue the human species. Even if you don't believe in God, this goes against nature. And so why would this happen to us in nature? Because you know, it would prevent you from being able to continue on the human race, which if you look at everything in nature, like from plants and animals, everything, the goal is reproduction. So I, I struggled with understanding why some people at a very, very young age were 
exhibiting signs of being gay, lesbian, whatever, <sighs> until I found out about this research, which was very recent. I first came across this information when I was reading books and, and, talk, and listening to people who were talking about this transgender uh, movement that's been going on. And they're the ones who first introduced um, the Kinsey Institute. And I started to do a little bit more research about the Kinsey Institute, but not a lot. You know, I hadn't dug into it really. Today was the first time I've actually read from uh, this book that talked about the research that had been done. I'd heard about the claims that were made, and it and and that's when I was first. In I guess many ways, I feel like I was vindicated in my belief that. You are not born gay, you are made gay. And the reason why I say that is because at this institute, these air quotes here, scientists were studying the ability of infant boys and infant girls, infants, okay, is the key word here, to be able to have an orgasm. So, these adults were stimulating infants to arousal. So now these people who, had, who were participants in these studies, most of them, most of them are, um, we don't know who they are. Their uh, identity is concealed. But they did this research to thousands of children and infants. Imagine what happened to those thousands of children in America and also what it seems to be the case is that they were also collaborating with Nazis. So this isn't just America. This has been something I think that is a research that's been going on in Western society. But of course, a lot of it happened here in America. Indiana University, if you and it's, it's you can go to the website and see that they still hold the name and they still do research there. It's 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 so upsetting to me. I can't even. And sometimes I can't find the words because it's 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 devastating. But imagine what would happen to a child, an infant who has been treated this way, who has been studied in this way, who has been coaxed into uh, uh, opening or awakening a form, a, a section within their brain that has no business being awakened. Because what are they supposed to do, that, do with that as children? What do they do with that? Well, they go on to act out on those desires that otherwise should still be in a little box closed up, you know, or in a jar with the lid tightly sealed. And in normal childhood development, that's how things would go. But for the sake of, of uh, changing our society into what they wanted it to be, they decided to open up this jar. And they, they've released all of these children who were 
sexually assaulted at very, very young ages into society. And one of the things that I read in the book was talking about how this is generational, even for Kinsey himself. These researchers had experienced this, some oftentimes incestuous relationships, and then they went on to do the same thing to their own children. Okay, so this is these are these generational curses that are handed down from person to person, from families, generation after generation. I want to read to you from uh, Kinsey Crimes and Consequences, and this is in chapter seven. I'll read a little bit to you. We'll go to break and then I'll come back and I'll read some more to you because I want you to be aware because again, these people who were submitting this information because they actually were, the, the Kinsey Institute was getting this information from participants across the country. They were given these forms to fill out and they were asked all of these questions to submit, including asking them to time how long it took to get a child to reach an orgasm. They had stopwatches that they used in order to time how long it took. They have charts showing the age, showing how long it took to reach orgasm, showing how long, how many orgasms they were able to achieve and how much time in between. These children that they did this to were tied down like animals. Let me go to break before I read to you this from this book. And on the other side of the break, we'll, we'll get back into this. It's time and this is The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. 
America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Hey, welcome back. So today's topic is a tough one, I know. And I gave the warning in the beginning of the show, but if you're just now tuning in, I'm going to give the warning again. This episode is not intended for children. So if your kids are listening, just turn it off and wait. Listen to the podcast later when you can, but don't let your kids hear this particular episode. And just so you know, this is information that is shocking and upsetting And I'm sharing it with you with the hopes that we can use this information to shine a light in the darkness and expose what's been happening on this planet and try to protect our children from these monsters that are all around us that we did not even know about. And so what I'm talking about today is the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University, who is um, a scientific research center and has been doing scientific research for um, many decades on sexuality in male and men and women and in children and, and all of the information that guides our education when it comes to sexuality and in the school districts and what we learned growing up came from this research from the Kinsey Institute. This information is quite upsetting because Not only were they studying this on children without informed consent, the parents who were unaware did not have, had, did not have the ability to give consent, but then the ones, the parents who were aware were participating in this uh, sexual abuse and the ages of those who were abused were as young as three months old. So from, so chapter seven, it starts off with a few quotes and I want to read those to you. So Um, Dr. Balyasek made measurements of his crimes committed against children while in correspondence with the American sexual researcher Kinsey doing this research over three decades. The next quote says the Nazis knew he practiced his practiced his abnormal tendencies in occupied Poland on Polish children who had chose between Balyasek and the gas ovens after the war. The children were dead, but Balusek lived. Today, the court has got four diaries where he recorded his crimes against 100 children. He sent the detail detail of his experiences regularly regularly to the U.S. sex researcher, Kenzie. The latter, with Balusek, kept up a regular and lively correspondence. And this other quote is, Balusek corresponded with the American Kinsey Institute for some time and had also got books from them, which deals with child sexuality. As you read through this chapter, you're going to come across these names. Some of these names that I read to you earlier for who people who were directors of this institute, you're going to find in this book and you're going to see what role they played in this research. But let me go ahead and start reading you. This is from chapter seven. Sexual behavior in the human male included 23 chapters of supposedly scientific data and analysis, 
Perhaps the most baleful was chapter five, early sexual growth and activity, where Kinsey claimed to show that the tiniest of infants have the capacity for orgasm. He contended that his data confirmed that sexual activity is natural to the human animal from birth and that human children are therefore unharmed by sexual activity, even from birth. Prior to Kinsey, sexual information, sex education, focused on marriage, sexual hygiene, venereal disease, and family living, and was widely recognized as the responsibility of parents or legal guardians. After Kinsey, this crucial responsibility was gradually transferred to school teachers. Kinsey's philosophy of early childhood sexual development became the standard for today's graphic sex instruction materials in many, if not most, American public, private, and parochial schools, usually camouflaged by such euphemistic captions as sex education, AIDS prevention or awareness, family life, health hygiene, home economics, physical education, even abstinence education. Public health data confirm that as Kinsian-based sex education has metastasized, levels of sexual disease and dysfunction have rocketed upward. Kinsey asserted that erotic arousal could be subjected to precise instrumental measurement if objectivity among scientists and public respect for scientific research allowed such laboratory investigation. It is reasonable to assume that he meant what he wrote. He and his team did in fact conduct what he called scientific research on children involving the precise instrumental measurement of what he interpreted as erotic arousal in infants, toddlers, and children. Whether public respect is due his laboratory investigation is for you, the reader, to judge. His research was indeed groundbreaking. Prior to Kinsey, no child developmental specialist suggested that children were either sexual from birth or that they benefited from early sexual activity. One education professional, Mary Shivanden, summarized the developmental theories of the 20th century as they relate to children, recalling that while Sigmund Freud had argued that children were polymorphous perverse at birth, psychosocial identity was the childhood goal, with children going through various stages in their development, including the wholly asexual latency stage on their way to maturity. Similarly, psychoanalyst Eric Erickson stressed that child's goals of trust, autonomy, industry, identity, and spiritual development. Cognitive theorists Jean Piaget, Lawrence Kohlberg, and Albert Bandura focused on mutual cooperation, moral thinking, and social learning as the child's major object objectives. Humanist Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow stressed that child's drive towards self-actualization as the motivating purpose. Learning theorists B.F. Skinner view the child's chief end as learning, reason, and obedience. And maturational theorists Arnold Gesell and Robert Havagerst cited normal development and task achievement as childhood goals. Alfred Kinsey alone argued that sexual satisfaction was a childhood goal. And this researcher went on to do experiments on little boys and little girls and it is one of, well, many of the records that he used to develop his statistics and to get percentages and all these things came from pedophiles. He found these pedophiles who either um, had been in prison or had not been convicted of their crimes, but were acknowledged that they were pedophiles, were um they were asked 
to assist him in this research. And he, and he used this, uh, this guise of science to make them feel as if what they were doing was worthy. There was one particular uh, person who helped him get a lot of research and his name was Rex King. King was an individual whom, um, here's a quote, it said, Gaythorne Hardy perused Rex King's records. He confirmed that King was indeed the individual whom Wardell Pomeroy said raped at least 800 infants, children, kin, and strangers. This particular person, as you read through chapter seven, you'll hear a lot about King and the things that he did because he had sex with children, infants, children, family, um, strangers, and animals too. Okay. And they even used this nature having, you know, some animals having, um, I guess what they, what do they say? Some animals have gay tendencies. So they use that as an excuse that, you know, it's natural for humans as well to do that. But um, when you read about the things that were done by these men and women to these children, you will be mortified. I promise you. Um, they were collecting samples from young boys sperm samples to see if they could tell about motility, study motility, um, see how early they would find motility um, in the microscopic evaluations that they did so that they could point to the earliest age, which boys were considered fertile. Um, and this required that Kinsey and his aides masturbated young boys or monitored the self-masturbation of older boys for ejaculate to be examined for sperm count and motility. Their group recruited pedophiles and pederasts to collect child orgasm data wherever they could. Here it says King had sex with men, women, children, and animals. Nursery school people, parents couldn't give us the extraordinary detail that King did. It was illegal and we knew it was illegal. And that's why a lot of people are furious. They say we should have turned, turned him in instantly. If we had turned him in, it would have been the end of our research project. During his Yorkshire interview, Tripp said that we ought to rev up children sexually at an early age. He and his colleagues hoped that it would fix people like this author by proving that children have orgasms, thereby reducing disapproval of and eliminating laws against molestation, abuse, and the like. If we could only get those children with some kind of masturbation or something that would rev up their sexual substrate at an early time, it would fix people like Judith Reisman immediately because then they'd respond and they'd know what the rest of the world was like. Neither Kinsey nor members of his team used the terms of molestation or abuse in a negative manner. They believed that their experiments were entirely acceptable. Tripp said, Pedophilia is an almost non-existent kind of crime. For instance, they use words like child molestation. What is that? Nobody knows. Abusive children? Are they talking about boxing them against the ear or hitting them with a stovepipe? Are they talking about tickling them a little? Are you talking about fondling? I hesitate to even call Rex King a pedophile. Based on the evidence, child sex abuse was a prominent research protocol for the child data from Kinsey's two volumes authoritatively cited as fact worldwide. One of the other things that's interesting about this research is that when he speaks of um, these pedophiles, 
these adults or these older children who were um, molesting and raping the younger children, he refers to them as partners. And when he refers to them as partners, it doesn't sound as bad, right? And then the other thing that, and because, and, and I'm telling you just so you know, when you're reading through this, you, you're aware, but um, one of the other things uh, that I found interesting was um, that although he may, he may have listed some of these um, subjects as, as adults, they were not adults. They were all under the age they were all pre-adolescent. So even though they may have considered the older children and they're in their naming them, they would name them as adults. They were not adults. They were, they were children. So what do we do with this information? Well, when you think about the information that is taught, that was taught to us. Okay. First of all, let's think about the ages here. So this research was started in the forties. Okay. So these people who, who participated in this research, are many of them are still alive they are our parents if you're my age our parents age for some your grandparents age but they went on to have children so we're looking at at least at this point um, three generations that have been affected by this research so for me if i'm looking at it so 40s my dad was born in the 40s and then there's me and now i have children so that's three generations right there. So people who were participating in this movement to sexualize children and society in general, if you look at those, those are the people who are currently in office, right? Those are the people who are currently writing the laws for our country. Those are the people who have us participating in things like the World Health Organization, who I told you um, some episodes ago where we talked about this movement toward creating this um, change globally in the laws surrounding pedophilia and sexuality. So, so the parents, so those people in their 80s and down and younger are the ones who are trying to shape and morph our country and our globe and our societies into one that is more accepting of sexuality that is outside of what is found in nature. What is normal? What does it benefit a person to have sexual desires as a child? How does that help them? Does it help them or does it hurt them? That's a question I'd want you to ask yourself. Does it hurt a child to be in a position where they know that they have these physical desires that they cannot control or they may think that they can't control them that, that make them feel shame doubt, confusion, when they should be focusing on things that children naturally want to focus on, like playing and developing relationships and, and learning and exploring the world. These young children who've been abused or introduced to sexuality at a very early age are focused on this urge that they feel within them that they need to get this release from, which is highly distracting. And, and, and one of the things that it talks about in this chapter was how it doesn't discuss, they, they fail, they leave out how many of these children attempted or succeeded at, at suicide, or how many of these children went on to become sexual predators, how many ended up with 
sexually transmitted diseases, how many ended up pregnant, how many ended up with abortions. They fail to, to relay that information. But the Kinsey Institute was um, very, very um, well-respected by many, many people, still is. It is cited as a source of scientific data. I know from my childhood growing up, all of the books that I read um, and all the little movies that we would watch about the difference between boys and girls and all of those things, being introduced to that stuff very early on just made me more curious than I should have been. I, I didn't need to know that stuff. And if I hadn't seen that stuff, if I hadn't been exposed to that stuff, I wouldn't have been curious about that stuff. And I'm not the only one. I know that there's so many children. I've talked to so many people, so many girls and so many boys who've experienced this um, exposure at an early age and who have been devastated and traumatized by the experiences and it has changed them. And I feel like, what can we do as parents? How can we protect our children when it's everywhere? Like you can pull up, you know, you can pull up something. Like if you have access to the internet, you can be assaulted by inappropriate, not even just the internet, forget just the internet, television, period. Just by having the TV on, thinking that you're watching things that are safe for children. You can be assaulted visually with sexual imagery. And as an adult, you can be like, oh my gosh, you know, and hope that your child didn't notice it, but I promise you, they did. And what do you do with that? What is a child supposed to do with that information? And what are you as a parent supposed to do with that? Um, not only, and I, I talked to parents who were like, well, I'm very strict with who my children are allowed to be around and I'm very protective. They're not allowed to spend the night at friends' houses and only we only allow parent we only allow family to watch them, things like that, all of the things that I've heard. And I promise you, that doesn't matter. Because in this research and from talking to many people, I know that family, unfortunately, are the ones who often um, are the perpetrators of this sexual violence against children, family, unfortunately. And that's so, I mean, I hate it. I hate it so much to even say it, but that's the case. So if you think you're protecting your children from this stuff, you're, you're not, you can try and it's worth it. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't try and I'm not saying to give up and feel like there's no hope, but what I'm saying is understanding that our, our, we are so saturated with this. It's like a virus at this point. It's like cancer. And we are so saturated with this that it is going to be extremely difficult to rear a child up from the time they're born until the time that they're adults without them having exposure to this type of, of information. A lot of the information was published in, in magazines like Playboy, um, the Kinsey research was published. And so imagine that Playboy was publishing these articles, these research articles about sexuality and children, while at the same time stimulating these men with pictures of naked women. So you already have this, this magazine that's in, that's intended to arouse sexually the desires of a man or woman. And then, and, and then sprinkle throughout these pages, you have these quote unquote research articles about how sexuality is natural and that children are sexual. And then it begins very early and that 
you know, really, really um, grooming society to believe that uh, it's natural, that we're animals and this is a natural instinct, natural animalistic instinct. So from the advent of pornography and the widespread um, publications, you're now basically spreading this virus throughout society. And people who may not have been exposed to childhood traumas have now been exposed to the idea that it may be okay to, to play with children in that way and that it's natural and normal. And so now you've got this virus that may have originally been, um, you've been able to keep it within a certain group of people, people who had been exposed to molestation, you know, through uh, maybe family or, or pedophiles close to them, neighbors, friends, friends of the family, et cetera. Now you're spreading this virus out far and wide. Okay. And now the very people who are producing our media, commercials, um, marketing material, television shows, cartoons, when you think about Disney and, and the movies that we watch, stories, books that we read, all of those things, those are now becoming so widespread that it's so easy for a child to be exposed to this stuff. And then what? Well, then you have curious children who you then introduce the idea of transgenderism and gayness and pedophilia. I mean, like minors, minor attracted people, you know, they're really trying so hard to attach themselves to the LGBTQ movement. And even though I know a lot of people in the movement are very much against pedophilia, they really, really are. And they don't want to be associated with these maps, minor, uh, minor attracted people. They are latching themselves on and their flag looks very, very similar to the LGBT or sorry, the transgender flag with the colors, the, you know, the blues, the pinks, the whites, well, the, the maps have included, I guess, a yellow. I mean, these, these rainbow flags, you guys are just the epitome. They are so, there's so much evil wrapped up in this blast of color that we're supposed to be celebrating and people are supposed to have pride in. If I could just, if I could just, I don't know, if I could explain it the way that I see it, like, I mean, it's just in order to come to this position, in my opinion, and if there's someone out there who has not experienced this, who has not been molested at a very early age, who has chosen from the time that they were, well, not chosen, who believed truly that they were just out of the womb their, their programming was such that they were just automatically attracted to the same sex. And you truly believe that you were not traumatized in this way. You will be rare. You would be rare. And I would really want to study. I, I, don't, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know if I would believe it, especially now knowing this information, because knowing that they were doing this to children as young as three months old and knowing some of the stories that have come out the news headlines that have come out of men who have been arrested for raping their newborn daughters. It's hard to believe that anyone can associate or attribute their choice of, of being gay or transgender to nature and not to nurture. So it is still my belief 
And my belief is just even stronger now after coming across this information that children and adults are made gay. You are not born gay. You are made gay. So what do we do about this? There's got to be a solution, right? So today I was actually thinking about this, like, okay, what's the problem? Well, children are being exposed at an early age to sexuality. Their innocence is being stripped early. Okay, we can't protect our children as much as we want to. We're not going to be able to protect them in all the ways that we wish we could unless we like move onto an island somewhere and isolate, which hey, is, is totally an option. I'm not against that. I support you if you do it. But so what can we do? Well, if you have a child, this is what you need to focus on. And this is every parent and this is every person, not just children, because even as adults, this is something that we have got to become better at. Our society is pushing us away from the ideas and the ideals that the Bible teaches us about not about controlling the flesh and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. If you look at society and all of the downfalls that we have in society, they will all come down to this one issue not being able to control the flesh. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, if you have a child, when they're very little, children want to do whatever they want to do, right? And as adults, our goal is to protect them from basically killing themselves, right? Because a, a kid will run out into the middle of the street after a ball and get hit by a car, right? So we have to train them to delay gratification. They have got to learn to be able to stop, make a decision about what they're about to do, weigh that decision, decide if it's a good one or a bad one, and then move forward. Like that's our goal, right? As parents is to teach our children how to make good decisions and also to teach our children that, you know, the things that you may want to do are not always good for you. For instance, a child may want to stay up late all through the night, but we have to let them go through the pain. And it, it's painful for us and for them, but to have these temper tantrums till they soothe themselves to sleep because they have to get sleep because their body needs sleep, right? They have to eat vegetables. We cannot let our children eat sugar and sweets all day. They have to get their nutrients, right? Because it's good for them. And so we're teaching them to deny the desires of the flesh so that they can survive and thrive as humans. But at some point, our society has deemed it better to satiate or gratify those desires of the flesh. So right now with this whole fat positivity movement, we're like, I'm fat and I'm proud. You know, airplanes need to make bigger rows and bigger seats and they need to stop fat shaming people. And we need to stop um, saying that fat people aren't healthy when they could be healthy and we need to stop all the fat shaming. Well, Ultimately, what does this come down to? It comes down to people who are unable to control the flesh. I want to eat X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. And I don't want to be told that I can't eat it. I am telling you this as a person who struggles with weight and I have struggled with weight since I was a little girl. I mean, I have been on diets since I was a kid. So I know what it's like to be a fat girl. I know what it's like to say, I want to eat that. I know what it's like to have an attitude, to be angry because I can't have something that I want to eat. Like, so I understand that it's truly going, I'm telling you from experience, it comes from 
the desires of the flesh. And I have to control that. I know what it's like to not want to go to the gym. Currently struggling with that issue right now. It's like, I want to sleep. I don't want to get up in the morning when my husband gets up and be at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. That's where I have to struggle to fight against my flesh. And so what's going to happen with our children who've been sexually assaulted, whether it is again, physically, emotionally, or uh, with visual stimuli or auditory stimuli, children hearing things when they're young that are, uh, woo, you know, and sometimes it's not even, it's okay. It's, it's parents who don't even realize their children are awake and they hear them. You guys, that's totally a normal, natural part of life, but it happens. Okay. What do you do? You have to teach children at a very young age to control the desires of their flesh. And we have to continue that throughout adulthood. We have to reflect that in our own behaviors. We have to model the behaviors as adults that we expect our children to exhibit. So that's all the time I have for today. I'm sure I'm going to talk about this some more because it's just, you know, it's critical that we all are aware of what's happening out here in, in our world around us. All the links to the information that I cited are going to be in the show notes. Go there, do your research, find out more, and let's fight this battle together. This is Nurses Out Loud. I'm your host, Nurse April, and my goal is to shine a light in the darkness. It's time.